series with our fourth uh, point of our mission. Our, our vision is this, as a church, we are called to help people thrive in Christ. That's who we are. Our vision is to help people thrive in Christ, and that's all of us. That's all of us, not just me, not just our leadership. It's all of us that we exist as a church in this place, in this time, to help people thrive in Christ. Our core passage is John chapter 10, verse 10. John 10, 10, and it says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come, that is Jesus, that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came that you would thrive in every part of your life. I've talked to so many Christians in my life who, in, in my time in ministry, who it's kind of like this, this posture. I know Jesus loves me. I know Jesus has saved me. And I just look forward to getting, going to heaven. But this life just kind of stinks. And this is, this is it. This is just my lot. But one day I'll be with him and then it'll all be better. Can I tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. That Jesus has designed and, and intended that you would thrive in this life and for eternity. It's a both and, not an either or. You were made to thrive. Our mission is this. We exist to help people thrive in Christ by knowing God, growing as disciples, serving like Jesus, and going to the world to reach others. Know, grow, serve, go. Can we say that together? One, two, three. Know, grow, serve, go. If someone asks you what's your church all about, you just say know, grow, serve, go. That's what we are. That's our mission. Right? I've, I've been to churches sometimes where their mission statement is like a paragraph long and you're like, there, there's no way I'm going to remember that. And, and, and I, was, I was writing our mission statement for our church and committing it to prayer. I was like, Lord, I want something that people... I want something that kids can remember. And in fact, uh, at least part of this mission statement was birthed out of our children's ministry. That, that no, no Grow Go was a part of our kids' ministry. And we said, hey, we want to use that for the rest of our church. And we added the serve component um, because it's important for us, as you heard last Sunday. Knowing, growing, serving, and going. That's who we are. And you can see on the back of your bulletin, we also have a list of values uh, that are not just a list of values. They are our core values. They are how we do life together. They are our rule of life or our guidelines that help us make our decisions and help us to keep, a, keep on track with serving Jesus. So we've talked about knowing God. We've talked about growing as disciples, and we've talked about serving like Jesus over the last three weeks. And I've made this statement. Uh, I'm going to start it. You finish it. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, it's all about? It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. The kingdom of God is all about relationship. God doesn't care about stuff. He cares about people. God doesn't care about stuff. He cares about people. When I was in Israel last year, we were in Jerusalem. It was amazing to see how people engaged with stuff, objects. Windows and statues and rocks in the ground. And as cool as it is to think while well, Jesus was here, it's just stuff. What was amazing to me is that people were pushing people, other people out of the way and yelling at them and being rude to them to touch a rock. And I thought, how ironic. 
and how sad that God cares more about people than he does about stuff. He cares more about that person he just pushed out of the way than he does the rock that his son touched 2,000 years ago. But you see how we can get it backward. It's all about relationship. You know, knowing God, if I were to characterize each of these steps as uh, kind of an organic process, which is kind of our motif. That's why there's so much green, by the way. If you see like our logo and the background, it's all green. Why? Because green is indicative of growth and health, right? If you walk out into your garden and you see yellow leaves, you're like, it's either fall or it's dying, <laughs> right? But we like to see green. I love green grass, like a big lawn. Oh, I love it. If we, if we were to liken this process to that organic process in growing, knowing God would be the seed. It would be the seed. You know, what's interesting is that a seed contains all the DNA needed for that plant. Everything. Everything. From the, the, the shape that it will be, the height that it will be, the fruit that it will produce, the way that it will look, the shape of the leaves. Everything is contained in the seed. It's already there. Knowing God is the seed that gets deposited in our lives, in our hearts when we receive Him and we walk into a relationship with Him. He, put, he deposits a seed in our lives that has the DNA in it for the rest of our lives and for our eternity. And He places it in us. It's a gift from Him to us. We get to walk in relationship with God, knowing God. And when we know God, we're able to know ourselves. Psychology today, so much study being done on the subject of true self and knowing who you are, understanding yourself. You can go to Barnes and Noble and there's a whole section called self-help, right? Because people are trying to figure themselves out. We cannot figure ourselves out unless we first know God. And when we know God and we know ourselves, then we're then empowered and equipped to know others. Because it'll stop being about what I can get out of you and start seeing you through the eyes that God sees you and will truly learn to love each other. Growing then would be the root. It would be that seed germinating and starting to push down roots into the soil. The trunk being established and then branches starting to grow out. And leaves starting to grow on those branches. And, and then flowers and buds. And then ultimately the fruit. The growing component of that is the root. It is that establishing of that plant, of that tree in the soil. Getting strong, getting healthy. And that is the focus in that section would be health. The focus in growing is health. Because healthy things grow. Right? We understand that. It's tending to the unseen parts. We have to understand that before we can produce fruit, we have to tend to the root. Without healthy roots, there will be no fruit. And then the third component, serving like Jesus, really that's the fruit. That's where we start seeing the evidence of knowing God and growing as a disciple. It starts coming out in the way we serve, not ourselves, the way we serve others. God's called us to live our lives in the service of other people. How do I know that? Because he said, be like me. Jesus said, be like me. Well, what did Jesus do? He came and he gave his life for others. He came to serve, not to be served. And that happens as we embrace God's plan, his gifts, his passion, the desires that he's placed in our own lives. 
He does that as we also do what needs to be done. The essential things where he builds our character and he grows our trust and our faithfulness. But let me ask you this question as we transition into going. What does every piece of fruit have in it? Seed. Fruit has seed in it. In fact, I mean, we get to eat fruit and it's enjoyable, but really that's not the purpose of fruit. Fruit exists as a seed-carrying mechanism to propagate more life, right? And so every piece of fruit has seed in it. And so when our lives, when we get this, when we embrace this in our lives and we fully commit to knowing God, growing as a disciple, serving like Jesus, what ends up happening is there's fruit produced in our lives and in that, in that, in that fruit is seed that will impact other people's lives. And that at the core, at its essence, is what going is all about. I'm going to put a graph up on the screen. Now, uh, you see across the bottom it says, no, grow, serve, go. Now, let me just say right up front, this is not a scientific graph. I did not do research or a study. There's no empirical data. All right. This is Pastor Barry's observational graph uh, from just even my own life, not even from others. So let's just say this is my life. But I would guess it's probably a little bit like yours. We come to this place of knowing God, and what happens is we go from that baseline. We're like, yes, I need to know God. This is important in my life. Can I get an amen? Right? Every one of us has this, whether we recognize it or not, there's a yearning to be in relationship with God. From the beginning of time, well, at least from the garden, when Adam and Eve, when that's, that relationship was broken. So, yes, I want to know God. And then we move on to the grow part, and we recognize, yeah, it's important. I recognize this is important, but maybe I don't have the passion for growing that I do just for knowing. I'm excited to come to Jesus, but then there's a little drop-off that happens. Then we get to serving, <laughs> right? Well, if I'm not too busy, right? If, if it doesn't interrupt my life, maybe I'll serve, maybe I'll do something. And then we get to go. And this is what happens. That's someone else's job. That's someone else's job. That's not my job. Can I tell you, this is not the way that God designed our lives to be. That we're all called to know God. We're all called to grow as disciples. We're all called to serve like Jesus. And we're all called to go. You didn't know it maybe this morning coming in here, but now you do. You're called to go. I remember as a kid, it's funny, I grew up in South Africa, so the whole idea of, well, God's going to call me to Africa didn't work for, for me. I was already there. But I knew this, and, and you've know, if you've been in church any amount of time, you know this, that there's this back in the, you know, kind of the back of your mind fear that God's going to call you somewhere crazy, far. I have a friend who was a missionary in Papua New Guinea. In fact, he was a uh, third generation missionary in, Papua, missionary in Papua New Guinea and did amazing work there. And I'm like, God bless you. His parents had on their wall in their house, they had these, uh, these you know, those shadow boxes with bugs in them. Bugs as big as your head. Crazy. I'm like, Lord, thank you for not calling me there because that's nuts. But that was kind of the sense is like, if I say yes to going, God's going to call me to the ends of the earth. Now, let me say, he might. But if we truly are passionate about knowing God, 
growing as disciples, serving like Jesus, doesn't matter where he calls us to, we'll, we'll, we'll be ready. Like, hold me back. I can't wait. We need to commit ourselves to this process, though, and it is that. It is a process, because God won't call you to go to people you don't care about. Now, there's an exception in, Bi- in the Bible. It's not really ex- an exception. God used a moment of growth in Jonah's life, right? He calls him, and he says, go to Nineveh, because someone's going to come and say, well, pastor, what about Jonah, right? We're stubborn. Are you stubborn? I'm stubborn, right? And sometimes I have a heart for people that I didn't even realize was there. I love taking people on missions trips. I've taken people to Africa, and they were like, I don't want to really go to Africa, but I'll go once. I'll go once, Pastor. I'll just, I'll give it a try. And they come home going, I can't wait to move there. Because I didn't know, I didn't realize God's given me a passion. And so we're stubborn. And so you so often don't even really know what it is you like or need or want. We need to commit ourselves to a process because God will move us in that direction. But it starts right at home. 1 Corinthians 9.16, Paul writes these words. When I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Now, this is a guy who his reputation was killing Christians has a powerful encounter with Jesus, and his life is transformed, and he becomes a man who preaches the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul's life was phenomenal. Half the New Testament is written by a guy who didn't even recognize he needed God in the way that he did. He gets to this point, writing this letter to the Corinthians, saying, I, when I preach, I can't boast about it. It's not me. I didn't start out going, I want to set my life, my course of my life on preaching the gospel, and I'm going to be the best preacher ever. That wasn't his goal. And as he preached, it's not about me. He says, I do it because I'm compelled. Why was Paul compelled to preach? He's compelled because God changed his life. Because of where he was And where he then found himself because of the love of Jesus. There's nothing more compelling than the love of God. And as we sang this morning, God's love will pursue you relentlessly. It will kick down walls and climb mountains. It will die on a cross and endure a beating. Because Jesus is passionately in love with you and with the people around you. And so Paul recognizes, I'm the last person in the world who should be preaching the gospel. But Jesus did something in my life. And because of what he did, I am compelled. God, Paul knew what it was to know God, grow as a disciple, serve like Jesus, and go to the world. Now listen, no grow, serve, go. It's just our thing, okay? It's ours for, as a church. Other churches, other, other people, other movements use different words. YWAM, their phrase is to know God and make him known. All right? There's, there's other ways... That, that it can be said, but it all comes down to the same core thing. It's about knowing Jesus and then leading other people to know him as well. That's what we're all about. That's what thriving in Christ is all about, because you can't thrive in Christ if you don't know Christ. Amen? Are you compelled? Let's pray.
No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Are you compelled? Is your story, your testimony, your recollection of what Jesus has done in your life so powerful that you are compelled to preach the gospel? And if, if it's not, I hear a yes, and I'm thankful for that yes, but if, if you're feeling right now a little bit of a pit in your stomach, like, mm, it's not a point of condemnation, it's an invitation to know God more closely, to grow deeper as a disciple, to start serving Jesus and get a greater glimpse of what it means to reflect his, his life here on earth. Just means you're in process and that's okay, but don't neglect the process. Are you compelled by the gospel? The real key in this is we have to start, we have to learn to see people the way that Jesus sees them. We have to see people through the lens of the gospel. Not when we go on a missions trip. I got to stand on the curb this morning and wave at cars as they were going by. And of course, I was getting ready to preach this message. So I'm looking at people this way. Jesus loves that family. God loves that. Per God has a per plan for that person's life. And maybe God at some point, if they don't already know you, they'll put in, pull into this parking lot and they'll get to meet you for the first time. That's the lens of the gospel. That's what we should be about every day, not just on Sunday. It's the good news, church. It's the good news. The gospel is the good news. And we hear that maybe you've been in church so long that it's just become a kind of a background noise saying, oh, the good news. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, the good news. No, it is the good news. The Eagles going to the Super Bowl is great. But it's not the good news. You tracking with me? The good news is that we were separated from relationship with God. And God knows that it's all about relationship. And so Jesus came to reconcile that relationship by dying on a cross. Raising again. And once and for all breaking the power of sin and death so we could be in right relationship with the Father. Romans 10.19 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And we have it to share. Every one of us, we have it to share. Are you compelled this morning? Are you compelled to go? Matthew tw chapter 28 18 through 20, Jesus says this to his disciples. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Therefore, do what? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's the growing part, by the way. And the serving part is wrapped up in there as well. And surely I am with you to the, always to the very end of the age. You know what I find so fascinating is that Jesus didn't rent a boardroom in Jerusalem. And he didn't find the sharpest minds, the most educated people, the wealthiest citizens and say, listen, we need to get together for a week, lock ourselves in this place, order in some food, Right, And we just need to put some charts up on the wall and some whiteboards. And we need to strategize on how to reach the world. 
because my father wants to, to love people. It's not what he did. He found a ragtag bunch of misfits and spent three years in relationship with them. And in the midst of that relationship, their lives were forever changed. Forever. That he called out of them what they didn't even know they had in them. And then he leaves. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so this group of 12 people, and there was a larger crowd, but there was a core group. Jesus spends three years in relationship with them, transforms their lives, and then says, I'm leaving, now go tell people what I've done for you. That was his plan. That was God's magnificent, well-thought-out, structured, strategic plan for reaching the world. Reach 12 guys who didn't fit, change their lives, and then let them go. Why? Because they were compelled. They were compelled. And we are sitting here this morning as a direct result of them going. Come on, church. We are here because they obeyed. We are here because someone else was compelled to go. At some, at some point, hopefully, someone has shared the good news with you. And, and at some point, hopefully, you responded and said, yes, I want that for my life. You are God's plan. You are his strategy. Amen? He doesn't use programs. Now, he will leverage those in our lives, but he he reaches people through people. God reaches people through people. Why? Because people produce fruit, and the fruit is where the seed is. We good? All right. Means that we need to live missionally. Missional living. And that word mission is so close to the word missionary, and that kind of freaks people out. Right? Oh, there it it is again. That whole ends of the earth. And God, I'm not so sure about that. No, missional living is not just about selling everything you have and moving to the other side of the world. Missional living is all about living through the lens of the gospel. That's all that it is. It's not just for missionaries. It's for all of us. So what does this mean for us practically? Two things. First of all, we need to go to our neighbors. We need to reach our neighbors. There's people right around you every day that need to hear the good news. Now, I know this. I've been there. I, just get, I feel a little awkward sometimes. What do I say? Right? Do I become that weirdo? Everywhere they go, just, hey, the cashier at the grocery store. You know, God has a plan for your life. Oh, no, no, no. A friend of mine who, you, who pastors up in Vegas, their rule for their youth group is, they have two rules. Uh, the, the, one of those rules is, don't make it weird. Don't make it weird. And, and, and we can sometimes make it weird, right? So just don't make it weird. And, and allow the Holy Spirit to kind of be that gauge for you where you sense like, okay, it's going a little sideways. It's getting a little weird. But, but don't not speak to people. It's all about relationship. And I don't know how that statement doesn't cut it for us. 
Maybe in the beginning, sure, I, I need to be equipped a little bit more. But at some point, it becomes an excuse. And we go through our lives with blinders on, not seeing the people right in front of us. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 9 is a great example of this. I want to read this story. Of course, anytime we talk about things relating to Jesus, it's good to look at what Jesus did. Luke chapter 19, starting verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho, which, by the way, was not a friendly place for Jews, and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not. So because of the crowd, uh, because of the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. (sighs) But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save that what was lost. Powerful, powerful, powerful picture. We learn about it in Sunday school. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? And then we forget about Zacchaeus when we become adults because it's not convenient. Because it requires something of us. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. He looked at him. It's amazing to watch people interact today. We avoid eye contact like the plague. Right? I would rather just go through my day like I've got stuff to do. Just don't bother me. Don't look at Because if I look you in the eye, it's going to get uncomfortable. And so I'd just rather keep my eyes down. You will not see people if you're not looking for people. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. And then he engaged with him. Hey, Zacchaeus. I see you. Come down. I want to go to your house. And in your house, I'm going to sit and I'm going to preach at you about how bad you are. No. I'm going to try and change you, Zacchaeus. No. Hey, let's have a meal. And he just spent time with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was in the presence of Jesus and it wasn't weird. You know who made it weird? All the religious nuts. Oh, he's with a sinner. (gasps) Jesus was compelled. And he goes into Zacchaeus' house, and he just sits with him. It it doesn't tell us what the conversation was. It just was, hey, he was just there. Because it's all about relationship. And the presence of Jesus in Zacchaeus' life is enough for him to stand up and say, I'm changing my ways. I'm doing this differently from now on. I'm giving back. See, the tax collectors were frowned upon. 
Because really, they were thieves. He was hated. He was despised. I guarantee you, Zacchaeus had no friends. He had a lot of money and no friends, which I believe is a characterization of so many people in our culture today. So much stuff, but no relationship, which is emptiness. The people muttered, but Zacchaeus responded, changes his ways. In essence, he repents. And what does Jesus say? What's his declaration? Today, salvation has come to this house. And that's the goal, that people would know God, that people would know God. Can I ask you today, do you see people? Do you see the people around you? Do you really see them? Do you see people through the lens of the gospel? And my hope is that this kind of prods you a bit. It should. Because we need to be compelled. I'm going to give you a couple of practical ways. If you go to a grocery store, which most of us at some point or another go to a grocery store, when you go through the checkout line, most often, more often than not, the person there is wearing a name tag. They're wearing a name tag. I've made it a habit to do a couple of things when I'm in a line. First thing is I will never be on my phone talking to someone else while there's a human being right in front of me. Nothing communicates or very few things communicate that you're not worthy of my time than standing on the phone while you're facing someone else face to face. And so if I'm on the phone or I'll be talking to Megan because she's giving me directions, right? Get this, get that. Oh, by the way, hey, honey, I'm, I'm about to check out. I'll call you back in a minute. I'll call you back in a minute. And then I will look that person in the eye and I will call them by their name because I know their name because it's on their name tag. <laughs> hey, Susie, how are you doing today? How's your... I'm just going to take a drink of water for a minute. <laughs> wow. Hey, Bob. <laughs> hey, Goo Goo. No. How are you doing today? That's it. How, how are you? How's your day going? And then just wait for an opportunity. Well, I'm going to be here for 30 seconds and then I'm, I'm on my way. You know how much difference some, God can make in someone's life in 30 seconds? 30 seconds. By the way, people love it when you use their name. You love it when people call you your name. <coughs> Am I right? Because your name's valuable to you. When you use their name, man, it blesses them. You don't have to preach the gospel, but you just did. Why? Because it's all about relationship. When I look someone in the eyes and I say their name... I've just acknowledged them as a human being, and that's what God does to us, as being valuable and important. But there's other ways. Do you know your neighbors? Have you met your neighbors? 
when I was in Kenya sharing with one of the pastors there that, you know, here in the U.S., you can, I've shared this before, but it's worth sharing again, that here in America, you can live next to people for a decade and never meet them. And that pastor, her mouth dropped open. <gasps> How can that be? She said. And then she made this statement, which I had never made this connect. She said, that is a sin. Whoa. Because it's all about relationship. Do you know your neighbors? Just reach out. Don't have to make it weird. Don't make it weird. We have a neighbor that just, they have a, a fruit tree, they have an orange tree, and they just came over and gave us a bag of oranges. Saw my neighbor Matt the other day. We just moved into a new neighborhood just, well, it's fairly nine months ago. Still getting to know our neighbors. And my neighbor across the street, Matt's in his garage working on his car. I love working on cars. In fact, I just got done working on my car. Went over, chatted with Matt for an hour. Learned about his life. At no point did I say, hey, Matt, do you love Jesus? But I know this, and just having that conversation with him, I communicated value and worth. Do you see people through the lens of the gospel? I got really stretched. In fact, this morning, and the Lord's timing is amazing. Um, there's a guy on, on Instagram I started following. Um, he, in fact, he's a writer. He writes for a, an overland magazine, off-roading. I love off-roading. Um, and... He has a Ford excursion exactly like mine. Um, and so he started, he bought this truck and he started building it out, lifted it, put a roof rack on it. And I've been following this whole thing. And then I started following him on Instagram. And then and we connected on Facebook. I've never met the guy. Lives in Texas. And so just kind of just watching what he does with his truck. Because I'm like, oh, I want to do that with my truck. And uh, this week he posted on his Facebook profile Hey, just wanted to update, update everyone on, on what's happening in my life. And he shared some very personal things about some physical and, and, and health things he went through, some relational issues that he had this last year. 2017 was a really, really tough year for him. And so I was thinking about his name is Chris. Again, I've never met the guy. I was like, wow, Lord, man, Chris has had a hard year. I'm just going to pray for him. And, and the Holy Spirit says to me, why don't you tell him? You're praying for him. Because I don't know him. And the Lord said, yeah, but I do. So this morning, I hopped on Facebook and I sent him a message. Hey, Chris, you don't know me. I'm just kind of watching you build your truck and it's kind of cool. Hey, I saw that you had a hard year. I just want you to let you know I'm praying for you. I don't know where you stand in your faith. I don't know where you're at with God, but I believe God has big things for you in 2018. Let me know how I could be praying for you more specifically. And hey, if you find yourself in Southern California, let's grab lunch. Now, the guy might unfriend me, <laughs> but I don't think he will. Why? Because I saw him. He posted something so personal on Facebook. Why? Because he's saying, just Take, this is where I'm at. This is who I am. This is what's going on in my life. And there was all kinds of encouraging, hey man, this year's going to be better, right? He's a younger guy, so most of his friends are younger, and it's just like, dude, this year's, you know, it's 
It's going to be rad, blah, blah, blah. Maybe not rad, but, you know, that's my generation. <laughs> I was like, Lord, I want to I reach out with something substantive. And I didn't do it on his timeline. I sent him a personal message. Church, there's opportunities all around us to see people. The neighbors, the people in our immediate vicinity who are saying, I need to know Jesus, and we have him to give. Are you compelled? We're not just called to reach our neighbors, we're also called to reach the nations. Acts 13, 1 through 3, we find the story of Antioch, the church in Antioch. Barnabas and Saul were there, who would be, later become Paul. It says this, now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And so after fasting and praying, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Paul and Barnabas go on the first missionary journey and start reaching people outside of their immediate vicinity. They start going to the ends of the earth, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, right? Sometimes we get stuck in Jerusalem and God's going, I've got people outside of where you are right now. Lynn shared this morning after prayer a vision the Lord had shared with her during our time of prayer this morning that around this church she saw walls that had been built up and there was light inside the walls and she started seeing the walls fall down. And that the light started penetrating, going through those walls and reaching out in all directions around this place. Amen to that. Yes, Lord, let it be so. That God would call people and raise them up in this church to reach not just their neighbors and not just down the street, but to the ends of the earth. And in the same way we're here because of uh, the 12, we're here even more so because of these two men. Because it was the church in Antioch, the church in Jerusalem, and those 12 guys were a little slow sometimes, right, on picking up on God's clues. And it took this group of non-Jew believers in Antioch, this unsanctioned church that shouldn't have been there, but there were just a group of people who had met Jesus, and they were so excited, they came together and said, hey, what can we do? Well, let's get together. And in the midst of that, as Barnabas is sent to check it out, and he realizes Saul's supposed to be here, and that's a whole nother story and another message. But he goes and he finds Saul and brings him back, and they minister there, and it's out of this place that the church explodes around the world. We're called to reach the nations. You're called to reach the nations. We're a part of the Foursquare Church. This is a Foursquare Church. And you might wonder, by the way, what's Foursquare? Um, there's information on our website, you can read about it and what we believe as a church. Um, but essentially, the four square gospel is this, that Jesus is our Savior, our Healer, our Baptizer with the Holy Spirit, and our King, which, by the way, corresponds with no grocer of go. He's our Savior because we need to know God. He's our Healer because healthy things grow. He's our Baptizer in the Holy Spirit. We cannot serve apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And he's our soon coming king. Time is short. The days are short. And there are people who need to know Jesus. We need to go. 
Foursquare has missionaries around the world. One of the easiest ways you can partner with the nations is this. We have right at the back on the hub a prayer guide. It's up every month. This one only, in fact, this is January, so it's done in a few days. But then next Sunday we'll have February. Foursquaremissions.org, there's a website you can check out. They have a little statement, four little things that they say in regards to partnering in missions. Four words, pray, give, partner, go. Pray, give, partner, go. That we can pray for people around the world in the work that they're doing. For missionaries and churches in other nations. Even represented this morning, uh, Isaac, whose sister is a part of Jacaranda Christian Fellowship in Nairobi, Kenya. I, I see Isaac and it's a reminder for me to pray for that church. Because we're connected through relationship. That we can give. And I'm so happy that we are a church that gives to missions. You'll hear tonight a little bit more of a report on that. But we're a church that gives to missions. Can I just a little snippet from tonight? Missions giving for last year in just FMI or, or, or general missions giving was over $6,000. Additionally, we had two missions teams that went out last year. And the money that was raised both here in our church and for that team, over $50,000. That's huge. And it's just the start. When I first came to this church, I was praying about, Lord, what is the vision? What is the, the God-sized dream for us? My, my default was, well, we need a building. And God said, No. And the word he said to me was this, stop asking and stop thinking about a building because what I want to do, what you think you need will not be able to contain the work that I want to do. Stop thinking about a building. That will shut you up really quick. <laughs> Plus, by the way, there's a lot of empty seats in here. There's a lot of people that don't know Jesus yet, but they're coming. So God said, stop thinking about a building. So I thought, Lord, then what? What is it? What's the God-sized vision the, the, the audacious dream and what he spoke to me, and I've shared this before, but it's worth saying again. He said to me at that point, start praying and start believing that your annual budget will become your annual missions giving. Start believing that your annual budget, which is around $200,000, would become your annual missions giving. And the question I posed about a year and a half ago, and I'll pose it again today, is not how big of a church do we need to be, because that's the default. Well, how many people do we have to do the math? No, 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 no. The question is, is what kind of church do we need to be to see that vision realized? Amen? Amen? Amen. Pray, give, partner. There's organizations. You may be, there's a passion in your heart. Maybe you have a passion for orphans, you have a passion for sex, people who are being sex trafficked. There are organizations, we love your partnership. If you'd like to know more, come talk to me. I love talking about this stuff. And I'll help you connect with people that I know who are working in all kinds of different areas around the world. Even here in Southern California, one of the things that my wife and I uh, want to start doing, our boys, Mike and Blake, have been going to Watts almost every Saturday friend of theirs is, is a leader with a ministry, uh, an organization called Red Eye. And they go into Watts, into the projects on Saturday, and they just play with kids, most of whom who don't know who their dads are. And they just play with them. They just hang out. Because it's all about relationship. 
And so this year, one of the things we're doing as a family is we're going to go once a month. We're going to go to Watts and to the projects and hang out with these kids. If you want to join us, you're welcome to. Why Watts? Because it's our Judea. We don't benefit directly from it. No one's going to come to our church. But that's not the goal. We want to partner with someone who's making a difference. And can I tell you, there's great needs. By the way, the nations are coming to our doorstep. LA in this region is one of the most culturally diverse places in the world. So we can reach the nations by driving down the 210. Amen? And then go. I believe that God is calling some of you to go to the ends of the earth. And I pray that he would raise up even more. And that he would start stirring your heart as you know him deeper. As you grow as a disciple, as you learn to serve like Jesus, that you will be so compelled. I pray that there would be a line at my door in my office of people going, okay, me next. Because there are people that need to hear Jesus. When I close with this, this is a, another audacious vision point, but hey, I'm on a roll, so why not? About a year ago, I was praying about church planting. Lord, what kind of church do we need to be in regards to church planting? We're a little church, right? Look around. By the way, did you know that over half our, more than half of our church are kids? We had 39 kids in our kids' ministry last week. We had 39 kids in our kids' ministry. Statistically, around the world, the most effective way to evangelize a community is by planting a church. That it was the case in Acts, and it's still the case today. I believe that God is calling Thrive to be a church-planting church. Our key verse is John 10.10. 10. And a year ago, the Lord said to me, I want you to commit yourself to planting 10 churches in 10 years. <laughs> and I laughed. <laughs> so I'm like, Lord, that's, that's a lot. But it's not a lot for people who are compelled by the gospel. Church, that's where we're going. I've kind of tipped my hand a little bit. There's more to hear tonight. So don't not come tonight. Because our vision for this next year is a setup for some of these things. God's calling us to reach our neighbors and the nations. I believe God is going to raise up church planters and pastors in this place. Maybe you're one of them. I believe that God is going to raise up missionaries in this place. Maybe you're one of them. But can we just start with our neighbor? Can we start with Bob and not Susie? Um, can we start with that person that's right in front of us? Can we commit ourselves as a church to saying, God, I want to grow deeper. I want to be compelled. God, help me to remember what you've done in my life. Let's get good at telling the story of Jesus in our lives and see what kind of impact it has in the world around us. Amen? Let's stand together. Our prayer team will be available afterwards, and I want to specifically encourage you. I'm going to be back there. If this message is stirring your heart, if there are, there are embers in your heart that are now, there's some flame and there's some flickering going on. You're like, I don't know what God is doing, but, and it's a little comfortable, but I need someone to pray with. I'd love to pray with you after service and for any other prayer needs you might have.